Hello there and welcome to May Fight Club. I'm your host, Manny G. Today we're talking about Valentina Shevchenko versus Grasso Part 2, also known as UFC Noche, coming up this Saturday in Las Vegas. We'll give you guys the full card breakdown one fight at a time, peel back the layers, talk some stats, some betting spots, and maybe some spots to be careful with. I think there's a few favorites in this card that could be dangerous for your parlay's health. Before we do that, let's go quickly just summarize what happened last week. UFC 293, we did finish in the red. Uh, after coming off of the prior event with a positive return, we finished here with negative 1.65 units. Not the end of the world. Did a poor job in our special section. Our parlay pieces did hit, though, all five of them, which was nice. And, of course, the Triple P parlay hit along with it. Negative 2.8 units in our parlay section. Negative 2.15 in our prop results. Our individual bets, though, we had a bet on Sean Strickland, as anyone should have had. Plus 470 was wild. We also had a bet on Chet Mariscal at plus 170. Two of our three individual bets did hit for a return of plus 1.73 in our individual money line bets, but it altogether came out to be negative. In terms of our predictions, winner or loser, we were really hot on that prelim card. We ended up going a perfect one, two, three, four, five, six, seven for seven on the prelim card in terms of our prediction to win. We had Kevin Josette, we had Gabriel Miranda, Charlie Racky, Nasrat Hakpras, so did everybody. The McDessie Malarkey fight, we were torn. We did have a play on McDessie, ain't gonna lie to you, but we ultimately sided with Jimmy Malarkey. We did go with Chet Mariscal in a fight that Jeff J Jack Jenkins was probably winning, but uh, got his arm dislocated, right? It happens. We went Carlos Olberg. He looked pretty good. Finished by submission. Didn't see that coming. So we were hot in the prelim card. And then the main card came around and the ice <laughs> settled in. We had Anton Turkle. Nah, Pedro looked great. Good for him. Gets a finish there. Austin Lane. Uh, we had a play on him. We were talking about he looked good in Jacksonville. And uh, yeah, Justin Taffa blew his top off. Looked exciting. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, didn't go our way. We get back on trap with Manel Cop. He does win. Big favor. Everyone more or less had him to win. But Felipe Dos Santos, yes, pretty damn good. Kid is not a slouch. Looking forward to him fighting again. For Alexander Volkov versus Ty Tuivasa, I don't want to say this and not be careful with what I'm going to say. I'm just going to put it this way. Ty needs some time. He needs some time to reinvent himself a little bit. He's so young. These last few losses, he, he's he's getting hurt. He's getting injured. I'm worried about the long-term health. Super-duper young guy. I want to see him reinvent himself because he is such a popular figure and the shoey and everything. The UFC needs to give him someone that he can beat. And, and Volkov is just, he's that tip of the edge there for Ty Tuabasa. Give him somebody like Parker Porter. Give him those guys. Just have some fun with Tuabasa. He's not title material right now. Needs some time to develop. Needs to get in the win column. So I'm a little worried about him. But that fight going under two and a half rounds was minus 245. No distance, minus 330. That was just free money, parlayable. And uh, we had Volkov to win. He looked pretty good. Main event, we chose Israel Desanya to win. So did everybody. DraftKings put out a plus 100 special line, which people were joking about on Twitter and stuff. Was, hey, was that a, was that a sign of a trap coming? It's amazing how that happened. <laughs> you know, DraftKings probably raked in so much money on Saturday night because they had this prop special. If you guys didn't see it, it's $25 minimum, I believe, but you could have parlayed it and stuff. And it was basically Adesanya playing him at plus 100 odds instead of the minus 650 or whatever. And it was not even close. 
Sean won for the five rounds, according to the judges. It was never close. Talk to the rematch. I, I got to tell you, man, I don't see how Israel beats Sean. It wasn't like it was a close fight. Uh, we could see a, a changing of the guard. Oh, there is a changing of the guard. I mean, obviously, Sean is the current champion. We'll see what happens from here. But uh, in total, we went nine and three for our picks. In total for bets, finished negative. Can't go, you know, can't complain. Now, on the private side of things, the things that I don't publish, I had a real hefty play on Sean Strickland right before the fight because I had Adesanya by, like, you know, within the distance and stuff. I had him in some parlays. I had the fight going over 1.5, so I had to hedge that bet, too. But I put something juicy, you know, two and a half, three units on Sean straight up, and that made my night very profitable. It was a good return. He gets it done, and yeah, get ready, world. Now, Sean Strickland is uh, your champion. I don't believe he will be very quiet about it. <laughs> uh, one more thing on that. I don't believe there's a fix here. You know, I want to subscribe to these things are being done above board. I, I thought that the fight looked clean. I thought Adesanya looked like he showed some of the, you know, the chinks in the armor, and Sean is a bit of a pest. But how nice is it for the UFC with all the different social media stuff the nina girl and sean strickland and all these videos it's like they just have a whole catalog of crazy one-liners from sean strickland um yeah oh one more thing <laughs> the post fight interviews with it was i'm not i forgot who the first guy was oh i don't know but manel cop dropping the f-bomb you know the, the derogatory term towards people that might be of the homosexual you know category um and i'm not even say the term because honestly it's uh, let's put it this way. I'm 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 Hispanic. I'm Latino. I never took offense to people saying, "Oh, you know, you're a, a spick," right? That's the equivalent of calling you know someone who's African American the N word, right? So the, I never I never got bothered with that kind of stuff. But but Manel Cop, he drops the F A, you know, rhymes with a maggot that word, and <laughs> you see DC pulls his wrist away, pulls him away from the microphones, like, okay, you're done. It was the second, though, fighter of the night who dropped the, the F-bomb. And uh, let me give you some history. That word, by the way, uh, again, rhymes with maggot, starts with F. Not going to say it out of respect for my audience members, some of which may be homosexual, trans, bi, whatever, you're, whatever floats your boat. <laughs> this is not the place to be judged. This is a, a, a free and clear zone. Everyone love everyone here in my fight club. But to drop that bomb in front of Australia, I'm not really sure what that was about. It was super weird. And it came off as, of course, insensitive. A little funny because it was the way that it kind of came off. And it was like, they just fought a fight. You know, maybe they're a little bit buzz in their head. But why? <laughs> what, was, what was up with dropping that word? I don't understand what was the, um, yeah. <laughs> was there like a, 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 per, a gay parade parade recently? Over? I don't know. I was really confused by this. But uh I digress. UFC 293 was a banger. Tons of implications. We'll see what happens from here. Let's turn our attention now to this weekend's card, Grasso Shevchenko Part 2. It feels like yesterday that Grasso took the title, and of course, Shevchenko is looking to reclaim the crown. This is going to go one of two ways in terms of the historical context. Either Grasso, the first female Mexican champion ever, Am I saying that correctly? I believe she is the first ever female Mexican champion. We've had others who've contended, I believe. But either she keeps the title, first title defense, and becomes the bona fide 
the lady on top, the queen of this division. And of course, then we'll line up the challengers, the Macy Barbers, and the, you know, we'll find a bunch of names that UFC would love to, par you know, parade out there. For Shevchenko, if she were to lose, boy, there's a lot of reminders of the way Kamara Usman and Leon Edwards went down, where first fight, of course, Kamara loses a fight he was winning. You can argue Shevchenko was winning their first fight. Then the rematch, people were thinking, oh, you know, Usman, if he just does what he was doing the first fight, he you know, wrestles and stuff. He's He made a mistake. He got kicked. It was maybe a little fluky. All those different, you know, ideas, philosophies were floating out there. Ultimately, he was a changed man. Usman was not the man he was a year or so before. Age did catch up to him. The head kick did kind of, you know, it changed the game, okay? And he was unable to reclaim the swagger. I thought that when you looked at the rematch, well, not rematch, that was like the trilogy they fought twice before, but the way Usman performed, it gave you the vibes of like, here's a guy who's a little washed in terms of where he was before. Not washed entirely, not that he can't win any fights, but not title material anymore. I'm very curious about Shevchenko. Does she look like Usman in that rematch, or does she look more like Adesanya did in his rematch of Alex Pereira, where he goes out there, knocks him out, reclaims the title? We've had a handful of titles be exchanged, and people go and try to reclaim them. Obviously, we've got Aljamain Sterling right now looking to try to get in the shot to get his title. Adesanya is back in that position, too. Amanda Nunes lost her title to Juliana Pena, then obviously reclaimed it, and then just hung it up. There's no perfect science here as to how these things go. Uh, Brandon Moreno is obviously looking to reclaim his title, too. Another recent champion who lost. It brings up the topic of these rematches. That's for another time. But uh, nonetheless here, amazing fight card, tons of good fights. You've got Tracy Cortez and Jasmine Jocetovich is one of the four female fights in the card. Looking forward to that one. Going to be a good wrestling match. Josephine Knutson, recent uh, acquisition by the UFC, just came out of Contender Series, what, three weeks ago. She fights in the first fight in the card. Four female fights in total after UFC 293 did not have any female fights. So shout out to the way ladies, they're back. Some bangers in here. Fernando Padilla, Mexican fighter. He he's all danger, baby. Edgar Shires, another Mexican. Gonna be gonna be great. And of course, this fight card, UFC Noche, is uh loaded with Hispanic fighters, specifically the Mexican fighters. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Even Raul Rosas Jr., the American slash Mexican, who's back to get back on track after that rough loss he had in his uh last fight as a gigantic favorite. And of course, everyone's favorite. The, uh, the boogeyman, Kevin Holland, or I should call him maybe the class clown. And I mean that very endearingly. I'll talk about his <laughs> reputation later on. But he faces Jack Della Maddalena. Man, Maddalena looked rough in his last fight. He won by split, and it was, oh, man, he was like a minus 600 favorite. It was sweaty. If you parlayed him and you won that night, you were you were praying to the mixed martial arts gods, thanking them for, for what happened. In any case, we've got 11 fights in total. Of course, main event being Grasso Shevchenko for the Strap there in the flyweight division, 125 pounders. We're going to start the premium card first, work our way all the way up each fight with you guys, one fight at a time. Going through some details without further ado, let's jump into that first fight. Let me pull up a shared screen here so I can uh, wrap with you guys. There we go. All right. I'm going to try using the UFC.com website today for putting up these graphics. I do like their stuff visually a little better than Tapology. Problem is, for some reason, UFC.com is not as up to date on like the changes. For example, if you look on their website, they still have one of the fights that's been changed already. They have the Reyes fight. 
They've got Alex Reyes fighting against Natan Levy on UFC.com. That fight's been canceled for a minute, and now the new match is going to be Charlie Campbell versus Alex Reyes. So I'll use it for the graphics, but I'll try to use Tapology for you know giving you guys some of my details. All right, enough talking, enough of an introduction. Let's get into this fight card. Let's start down the bottom here. The first fight will be between Josephine Nutsen from Sweden versus Marnik Mann. Now, this fight has a ton of moving parts. I'm gonna get I'm gonna go over all that with you guys. Before that, let me give you guys the pick to win. We're like Josephine Nutsen to win by decision. Before you're like, oh, what do you mean decision? She's gonna, she's gonna finish her. Very well could finish her, but I believe Josephine Nutsen doesn't have the best finishing ability right now, is prone to going to decision. So I think her most likely path to victory at minus 485 currently is by decision. You got Marinick Mann at plus 370. For all the men and women out there who like to bet dogs and say, oh, dog or pass, I guess here's your spot, I guess. Uh, it's small ladies, 115 pounders. You don't expect to see a finish. Josephine Nutton is a kickboxer. Marinick Mann got knocked out by Bruno uh, Brazil. We'll talk about that in a moment, but overall pretty durable, can hang. And so a fighter that I guess I believe you can say has the proverbial chance, right? I'm going to say that Marinick has a chance to win. All right, as for their details, let me go over those real quickly with you guys. Nutsin goes by Thunder, 6-0 and zero overall from Sweden, Stockholm to be specific, 27 years old, 5'3 in height, 60-inch reach. So giving up 3, three inches in height for man, a little bit shorter, and then about a 4-inch reach, also advantage for man. And for Nutsin out of All-Stars Training Center, for Marinick Man, the sawed-off Savage, that's her nickname, 6-1 overall, 4-1 her last five. From Montana, currently based out of Montana, trains out of Montana, mixed martial arts, 30 years old. So similar age bracket, five foot again with a 64-inch reach. And again, we're going with Josephine Nutson to win this fight by decision. As for our grading chart, let's pull this up for you guys here. I can share with you guys what I'm looking at. little zoom, zoom, chicka-boom. There we go. All right, so a little handy-dandy Excel sheet. This is available to you guys. The link is down below. If you're watching this on YouTube, we provide you a link to all of our Excel sheets, our data sheets for every fight card that we break down. This data sheet is incomplete from the standpoint that we don't have odds plugged in for the prop bets. Now, if you go to Best Fight Odds, you will see odds available. Thing is, we place these bets on DraftKings. DraftKings odds for specific prop bets are not listed yet, and they won't be until probably Thursday-ish. This is being recorded on Tuesday. So we do have our prop bets listed that we, that we like, but we don't have a price tag listed next to them. Matter of fact, this Excel sheet, if you're looking to understand what the colors mean, whatever else, there is a little table of contents on top. So take a chance. Let me take a chance. Take a second to look at that. If you're looking to understand what these colors mean, and like, for example, a red box, what does a red box mean? Well, a red box means we have a bit of an age concern or some kind of concern there. And with Valentina Shevchenko being 35, yeah, that's a bit of a, a factor for us as to why we're going with Grasso. But anyway, down to the bottom here. Here we go. Josephine Nutson, Marinick Mann, in terms of their side-by-side, -side, their grades, the grades we gave them for experience, fighter IQ, cardio, finishing ability, striking and grappling, here they are. We're giving a slight edge to Nutson in her experience and fighter IQ. Now, why experience when she's 6-0 and zero and Marinick Mann 6-1? Well, because of the kickboxing background for Josephine Nutson, former world champion kickboxer, because she was on road to UFC last year and won that fight, because she was on Contender Series recently and won that fight. Merrick Mann has been on Contender Series too, but she lost that fight. Hasn't fought on the highest of levels. It's not a former world champion kickboxer. So from an experienced standpoint, I am giving the edge to Nutson. Fighter IQ, 
Edison Knudsen, cardio. I think Knudsen has a better gas tank, better stamina, finishing ability. Neither fighter has shown a high propensity for finishing their opponents. So equal grade there. Striking is cleaner and sharper from Knudsen. And grappling, interesting here on Knudsen. I said kickboxing before, right? Former champion, whatever else. She's got a good ground game. Not a good submission game, but good control. She gets takedowns, gets top position. Doesn't look like a fighter who had a, had a roots in kickboxing. It looks like she actually has been a mixed martial artist for a long time. In any case, Merrick Mann also has decent grappling skills too, but not good jiu-jitsu skills. The fight to me going over 1.5 rounds, going the distance, maybe ending by submission because female fights, about 25% of them this year are ending by submission. It's a high rate. The fight starting around number two, if that prop becomes available, it's not too juicy. Some things that we'll look at here. Then Josephine Nutson by decision is the, <clears throat> excuse me, is the actual method of victory. For a prop lock, it's going to be the fight starting around number two or over 1.5 rounds if it's not too chalky. For us, the edge is minus 500 odds, so as long as it be below that, we'll entertain it. For their kryptonite or the areas that concern us about both fighters, it's their debut. It's their UFC debut, and that affects everyone a little differently. I believe Josephine Nutson wins the fight, but man, minus 500 in a fight where it's a quick turnaround. We'll talk more about the, the concerns there. If you're looking for film, on our little Excel sheet here, you'll see there's two fight links there for Josephine Nutson. There's two fight links there for Marinick Man. Click those links, opens up a window, and you can watch yourself some film these two fighters and do your own grading. And by the way, saves you a lot of time here. We have this film library available for all of our breakdowns. Again, free on our Google Drive. Click the link down below. If you are subscribed to our newsletter, you get this in your newsletter. There's a link there to our Excel sheet, and then you can go ahead and check it out throughout the week. It does get updated throughout the week because we add more and more information. We add odds and things of that nature. And if we have a change in our pick, that also will be reflected on our Excel sheet. All right, enough talking about that. Let's get over back to the uh, my notes on these two fighters. All right, so I'm going to read to you guys my little version of doing my, my Morgan Freeman. What happened to the music? We had music here, and did my music... Uh, like just time out <laughs> it said I've, I've been playing long enough there's a feature here on this stream yard where it's like in a loop if you put on a loop i guess i needed to click that button all right here we go this is the notes right from the newsletter on josephine nudson minus 45 versus marinick man at plus 370 once again strawweight bout we've got josephine nudson by decision that is our prediction for Nutton, making her UFC debut after competing on Contender Series a little over two weeks ago. And notably, she was not awarded a contract on the show. But due to some shifting around on this car, the UFC opt opted to sign her. If Nutton had more resources and or a secure spot in the UFC, she probably wouldn't be taking this fight, right? But sadly enough, the UFC, they kind of know the situation of the fighters. They sort of prey on them, especially young fighters who they know are desperate for a chance to get she looked very good a few weeks ago on Contender Series. Most fans thought that she did enough to earn a contract. For whatever reason, Dana felt otherwise. A week later, it was announced that Nutsen had been added to the roster and would be fighting on this fight card. Let me translate what happened there for you guys. In essence, the UFC offered Nutsen a contract with the stipulation that she fights in two weeks as a replacement against a very good opponent. She was originally supposed to fight Yasmin Lucindo. And I believe she would have lost that fight. I believe she was way outgunned for that fight. 
Luckily for her, Yasmin Lucindo had to drop out. And now in comes Man as a replacement to fight. That's it. For lack of better words, I'm going to say this. Man is a cakewalk compared to Lucindo. So, happy for Joseph. She has a chance to win if they do. We say all this because it appeared that UFC was going to feed nuts in <clears throat> to Lucindo. I want to go harken back to that. It's not a good sign about how the UFC feels about her prospect, Josephine Nudson, in that they didn't sign her on the show initially. Then they go ahead and say, hey, you, we, we got a spot for you, actually. We changed our mind. Let's, let's jump in here. And then you're going to feed her to someone like Lucinda where she was going to lose. You know, so I just, look, she picked up a win last year on Road to UFC. I thought that was enough to get her on the map, right? A former world champion boxer. She's been on the UFC radar now for a minute. She has credentials. And uh, it's not enough. For some reason, they were going to just feed her to Lucindo. So I'm a little concerned as to how they feel about her prospects. And maybe we're just reading into it too much. But she should have all the advantages here over Meredith Man. As for Miss Man, also fought on Contender Series, we mentioned before. Just not two weeks ago, though. <laughs> she was knocked down and out. By a highlight kick from Bruna Brazil. We've seen her fight now twice in the UFC, up and down results. The first time that man had been knocked out. Up to that point, she was doing okay and had some grappling success in the fight against Brazil. For man, she averages 4.71 takedowns per fight, so you know she's going to try to get some takedowns to get some position control. Man utilizes trips and tosses to get takedowns. Not much of a traditional wrestler, like most the legs and double. If man can't get her opponent down, she's in the trouble because on the feet is slower. Headlocks. Oh my goodness. The head the head and arm choke, whatever headlock arm choke takedown only happens in women's mixed martial arts. She's a bit of a, a master of that move. And once she gets someone down, she's got the head. These females can't get out of that. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing. But she does that move. If she could Execute that move against Josephine Nutson, who's a, kind of a smaller, other than small girl. She could eat up some clock and win at least part of the round. Now, one glaring issue for man is her negative striking ratio. Ratio, excuse me. She absorbs 4.19 strikes per minute while landing 1.99. And so, somewhat lower output and being hit almost double the amount of times that she's dishing out. In her defense, though, that was a one-fight sample, and it got away from her there, right? It was a fight. Now, as we said before, this is not the ideal scenario for either fighter. Because of the extenuating circumstances, we recommend cautiously betting on this fight. Nutson in particular, she's going to become the parlay piece. We'll talk more about the bets on our tip sheet when that's completed, which is not today. <laughs> but I will say this, that Marinick Man is worth a look-see. You know, she's worth a look-see. We're talking about unproven fighters, 27, 30, uh, anything possible. The betting strategy here, fight starts round number two if it's not too chalky. Like if it's minus 600, I won't touch it. If it's minus 500, though, I will put that into my pipe and I will smoke it in my parlay. Over 1.5 rounds. Nuts and as a parlay piece. And put a sprinkle on man on the main line. She's plus 370. What happened last week? Yeah, Sean Strickland, exactly. The fight ends by submission is another prop to keep our eye on. 25% of the fights this year involving females end by submission. It's a staggering number. It's true. 
it's more like 23 and a half 24 percent i'm rounding up but the point is it's a good percentage fights or emails do end by submission and though we have no finishing ability recently these two fighters could be up get on the ground that's when that's my thoughts on the first fight just be nuts in first marinic man up next guys a prelim card bout next up lightweight clash between charlie campbell cannibal and alex reyes executioner there was a change here and if you're on ufc.com they still have the original fight which is on levy alex reyes mr campbell is stepping in he is the replacement fighter about two weeks notice three weeks in that range so it was the last minute but he did have some time to make his final preparations before we get to the breakdown we'll tell you who we like to win Charlie Campbell by round two knockout is our prediction. That could be round one. Uh, going to go round two. I don't believe it happens in round three, though. I think at that point, we're going to be in the red for the gas tank on Mr. Campbell. Campbell's currently listed at minus 380. A big favorite for a guy coming in on two weeks' notice as a replacement in his debut. What does that say about Alex Reyes? Right? Well, this guy, Reyes, it's a story to tell. I'm not get into that in just a moment. But Reyes is a plus 300 underdog, a lightweight clash, 155 pounders, excuse me. And again, we like Campbell by round two knockout. As for the details on the topology, because again, over on UFC.com, it's showing you this. That's not the thing. But um, topology's got the skinny. All right, Mr. Campbell. Goes by the Cannibals, seven and two overall, four one his last five out of New York. Twenty eight years old, six foot in height with a seventy two and a half inch reach. Trained into the famed Longo and Wyman MMA gym. Alex Reyes, the executioner, thirteen and three overall from California, thirty six years old in eleven months in two weeks, so basically thirty seven. Five eleven with a seventy three inch reach. He's out of Cage Combat Academy. Mr. Reyes. Yeah, we have a story to tell you about Mr. Reyes. Well, not a story, just a fact. The guy's been through a lot. As for our notes here on our Excel sheet, let me go through that with you guys. Our grading chart. 37 for Reyes. We have that marked, right? That's a little bit of a, a red flag for us right there. It's a bit older, right? About a, a decade older than Mr. Kim. Experience-wise, we give an edge to Reyes. 13-3, and three, fought a few more fights, has fought already in the UFC. This will be a second fight in the UFC compared to Campbell, who you know, fought nine fights total, and this will be his UFC debut. For fighter IQ, because of what Reyes has been through, which we'll talk about in a second, I, I don't know where he's fully at. And with Campbell, I love the spunk. I love the finishing ability. There's a lot to like there, but he made some mistakes against Duncan, and it cost him this fight. So fighter IQ needs to improve. It was a rookie mistake, but still needs to improve. Cardio, I don't know that Campbell has amazing cardio. I don't believe he does. I believe he goes for it early. And after that, it's like, eh. For Reyes, he hasn't fought in years. And he hasn't fought in like six years. So we're going to talk about that more in a moment, but I have no idea what his part of him. And he's now 37. Last time he fights at 31. Okay. Finishing ability, Reyes does have a better track record of finishing ability, specifically by submission. For striking, I give an edge to Campbell. He hits pretty hard. Fluid hands. He needs to pick up his right hand. Kind of exposes his, the right side of his face a lot. But uh, for striking, Reyes has never been an amazing striker. He's more of a grappler. And so for grappling, I do have a better grade there for Reyes. 
over Campbell. Some props to consider here fight not going the full distance. The other two and a half rounds, the KO for Campbell, submission prop for Reyes. The fight ending in round number two by knockoff for Campbell is the method of victory. For our kryptonite in these two guys, for Campbell, he's reckless. He needs to you know, pull it in. That fight against Duncan, he could have won that fight. Could have been already in the UFC, but he, he lost it after being ahead. After knocking down his opponent twice, he got sloppy. So he needs to reel it in a little bit. Not be so reckless. For Alex Reyes, it's father time. It's age. It's damage. A long layoff, which we'll get more into. And I believe if you're betting on Reyes this weekend, it's, it's an emotional bet. You're just pulling for the guy, right? All right. Let's get into our notes on these two warriors. And we'll share with you the story that you may or may not know about Reyes. But let me uh, break it down for you guys. So, Mr. Campbell, round two knockout is our prediction. For Alex Reyes, Mr. Reyes, he was diagnosed with osteomyelitis. Myelitis? I'm trying to pronounce that. O-S-T-E-O-M-Y-E-L-I-T-I-S. 2019. So, a few years ago, right? About four years ago. In layman's terms, he had serious spinal infection. And how did he get the spinal infection? The health issues for him began when he contracted the E. coli. E. coli. And the nasty stuff you get from like eating... What has E. coli in it? <laughs> he got it from a stem cell infection or a stem cell injection, I'm sorry. The side effects included partial paralysis and at some point, ability to walk completely lost that as well. He was bedridden for a while, like nursing home level care. His doctors told him even if he recovered or he survived all this, he would no longer be able to walk. That was about four years ago. He defied all sort of odds. He completely recovered. He's back walking, obviously. He's training and now looking to make himself available for fighting. So that's his story. That's why he hasn't fought in years. And it's a story of courage and family and support from his friends. If you're subscribed to our newsletter, we included a link in the newsletter uh, for an interview he did with a May Junkie where he talks about sort of his, his voyage. You know? Now, prior to falling ill, before this devastating, life-changing event happens to him, he was an effective grappler with high-level submission skills. Four of his last five wins were by submission. He lost the UFC debut by a round one knockout to Mike Perry, 2017, in his last fight. Now, Mike Perry is a bit of a maniac, and he's got, you know, he's got a whole, he's got a whole uh, reputation himself. Not the worst loss for, for Reyes to get beat up by Mike Perry. Now, though we commend Reyes for his amazing recovery, we're rooting for the guy. It's amazing, right? It's kind of hard to get behind someone in this spot. I mean, for starters, he's about to turn 37 years old. Secondly, his last fight was almost six years ago. Long layoff, advanced age, and health issues just might be too much for him to overcome. I have a theory for you, though. Is it possible that Reyes views this fight as the pinnacle of his recovery? Example would be like when a fight, when a fighter, when a when an athlete signs like a one day contract to go back to their team that they played for years, right before they retire. Like it's a symbolic type of thing. Like I made it back. Win or lose, I got back to, to where I was. And you know what? Win or lose, his story is a miracle. As long as he doesn't get like literally like killed in there, he walks away with like, hey man, I, I made it back. I proved the, to everyone that I'm gonna get back on my feet. I can move now on with my life, knowing that this part of my life, this chapter's closed. And maybe the UFC is allowing him to do this. One last rodeo. That's a way to celebrate his career and his recovery. 
at times, Dana can be a bit of a softie. And UFC knows how to market things like this. So I'm just saying, putting it out there, maybe Reyes, after the fight, if he loses especially, puts on the gloves and says, you know what? On the microphone, no one thought I'd be able to get back here. I did. I got a family that I love, support, blah, 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 blah. So that's the story with Reyes. As for Campbell, my man was moments away from earning a UFC contract in the series last season. He had his opponent, Chris Duncan, on the proverbial ropes. He knocked him out multiple times, and then he made the rookie mistake of getting sloppy. And for a little while, he was like, I got this guy, and he just walked into a nasty like this. Put him down in his ass. He hammered fist from Duncan, and my man was laid out. Had Dana jumping out of his seat. The 10 or, 10 or 15 people that were in attendance for dinner series were also celebrating, too. It was pretty wild. For Campbell, he bounced back nicely after that. Picked up a grappling win, and he got a round one knockout earlier this year on CFC. That's a powerful right hand that he sets up well with his jab. Also does a nice job of making lower leg kicks. In 15 fights, amateur and pro included, he has never been submitted, so pretty good submission defense. He's been knocked out before. Unlike Reyes, Campbell is not a submission threat, though. He has one submission in his career, and that was back in his amateur days. A grappling-style fight will play to the strengths of Reyes. He's obviously a very good grappler, right? Reyes will be live for a submission during any of the grappling exchanges. A kickboxing-style fight, that favors Campbell. It'll come down to who can enforce their will, who can make it the fighter fight their game plan. For Campbell, he's the rightful favorite. It makes sense. We envision him knocking out Reyes within the first two rounds. But you know, there's still that if there. He's also young. Reyes is a bit of a veteran, right? Been around for a while. Been through a lot in life. Let's get a shit. Betting strategy here. Under two and a half rounds. See some violence coming. The fight is out of the full distance. Campbell by knockout within the first two rounds. Then Reyes by submission should be really juicy. As a matter of fact, if I can just go take a gander at best fight odds, what they have that sitting at. If they have it available. No. Not available yet, but yeah, I would say Reyes by submission. If you watch his film, you know his fighting style. Last four wins by submission, right? This guy, that's where he does his best work. So, next up, we've got a female bout flyweight division, 125 pounders, Tracy Cortez, the American fighter up against Jasmine Jasudavicious, Canadian. Before we jump into the details, we'll tell you that we do like JJ Jasmine Jasudavicious. By decision, that's our prediction. She's currently the plus 100 on the money line, which is not a dog price. It's a pick em price. Cortez at minus 120. This line's been at that point the last few days. At one point, I believe it went even. Now, for some reason, some money must have come in on Cortez. It's it's a tough one, guys. We do like Jasmine here. I think that she's going to be the better grappler and, uh, and out-wrestle Cortez, who's known for her wrestling. But if you like Cortez, I hear you. Pretty young lady. And uh, active on the social media, working out, training, very serious about her career, has a strong record. And so there's a lot of reasons to like her. But I'm going to go with Jasmine to win this fight by decision. As for details, all right, let me go over their information with you guys. Tracy Cortez is 10-1 and one overall, 5-0 and zero in her last five, based out of Scottsdale, Arizona, 29 years old, very young, 5'5", five five with a 65-and-a-half-inch reach out of Fight Ready MMA. For JJ, 9-2 overall, 4-1 her last five from Canada. 34 years old, so kind of getting up there. I don't believe she's showing any signs of aging, but she doesn't have a lot of time to waste. 5'7 for Jasmine will be a little bit taller than Tracy, but a 68-inch reach will also have a slight reach advantage. She's out of Niagara top team in Parabellum MMA. 
All right. As for my grading on these two fighters, let me pull up the chart for you guys to see. Here's my notes. So experience-wise, similar. Fighter IQ, same grade. Cardio, interesting here. I believe that Tracy Cortez does not have as strong of endurance or stamina as Jasmine. It's not a lot different, but there's a little bit of a bump there. Jasmine tends to dig deeper when the fight goes later and just has more left than Cortez. And I'm not saying Cortez has bad cardio. I'm just saying I believe Jasmine has an edge in cardio. If it's super close, round three, I think Jasmine has enough there to edge her out just based on energy level, right? Finishing ability, I don't expect to finish. Neither fighter has resume that, that supports them being high-level finishers, and they're both very evenly matched, so I think this fight goes longer. Striking, edge to Jasmine. Cortez has very, uh, her striking needs work. Okay, put it that way. And maybe we see some of that work now, but she's predominantly a wrestler. And then for grappling, you know, Jasmine has outgrappled people like Miranda Maverick, who are bona fide good grapplers and wrestlers. So with Jasmine, it's, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say she's much better than gra in, in grappling or wrestling than Cortez. I don't believe that, but I think she's a little better. I gave him the same grade here in my chart, but I do think Jasmine will out wrestle her. Some props to consider the fight going the distance. Over 1.5 rounds, the fight beginning round number two, and Jasmine by decision. Our concerns for these fighters, Cortez, very one-dimensional. And for Jasmine, facial damage. What do I mean by that? Well, for Jasmine, she tends to get cut easily, and she also tends to get a bloody nose. In close fights, where you're looking for a reason to go with one side, if she does have some damage on the face or swelling, that could be a difference maker. So that's my one area of concern for her. She can't really control that. Um, she just has lighter skin, thin skin maybe. If she gets an abrasion, she gets red pretty quickly, bloody nose. It, it, you know, it just happens. So keep an eye out for that. Okay. Let me go ahead and pull up my notes in these two fighters and give you my final thoughts. So Jasmine, by decision, is the prediction for JJ. She's looking for her third win in a row. She won five of her last six fights. Earned her UFC contract on Contender Series two years ago. Her most recent win over Miranda Maverick is an example of what might happen in this fight. We mentioned before, Marav Maverick, I think Cortez is like the Spanish version of Miranda Maverick, right? She's it's very similar in terms of her fighting style. Even physique, shorter than Jasmine, likes to lead in her wrestling. Now, Cortez, much like Maverick, that's what she does. That's what she predominantly does. So I think, for, again, for Jasmine, it's a very similar matchup. And JJ severely outmatched Maverick on the ground. It wasn't close. We're expecting the same thing in this fight against Cortez. For Cortez, wrestling foundation helped her guide her to a 10-1 record. Her only defeat was by submission in her first professional fight. So she went her first fight lost, then from there ripped off 10 in a row. Very impressive. Her striking is just not that good. Uh, it lacks power. It lacks speed. It's just lacking everywhere. Now, she could show improvements here. She's 29. She knows that's the area of her game that she needs to improve. But in the historical past, here, recent past, it has not looked effective. Now, what she does to make up for her poor striking is the grappling, the wrestling. She's relentless there. She'll reshoot for takedowns. She'll, she'll get a body lock. She'll hold on to your ass. She'll eat up time. And if you're not trained in grappling, she's going to get the win. She's going to edge it out. But Cortez is one-dimensional. She does need takedowns and position control to win this fight, whereas Jasmine, I believe she could be effective on the ground and on the feet. Combined, these two fighters have been a decision in their last 13 fights combined. Same thing's going to happen here. We're going to the scorecards, and at that point, it just depends on 
what I just see. It's also UFC Noche. Tracy Cortez, even though she's American, Spanish last name, Mexican-American roots. I don't know. Maybe the judges will be you know, favoring the Mexicans. I have no idea what to tell you, but a split could be in the works as well. The betting spots we like the most here are the fight going over two and a half rounds. The fight goes the full distance. And then maybe sprinkle JJ, Jasmine, Jessica Vicious by decision. That prop price is not out yet, but at plus 100 right now on the money line, it should give you some like plus 200 type of return money for Jasmine by decision. And the split props, I mean, when they come out, I would also maybe consult your your split prop odds and see what you got there. All right, let's move on. Next up, flyweight bout, 125 pounders. Edgar Shirez goes by Pitbull versus Daniel Lacerda. Goes by Miojo. All right, before we get to the breakdown, we'll tell you that we do like Edgar Shirez to win the fight by a round two submission. That is our prediction. Mr. Shirez is minus 250 currently on the money line. You've got Lacerda at plus 205. As for the details, flyweight bout, Mr. Chires, 10 and 5 overall, 3 and 2 in his last 5 from Mexico, 27 years old, 5 foot 7 with a 72 inch reach out of Entrum Gym, which is also down in Mexico. For Lacerdo, 11 and 5 overall, almost the same exact record. He's 1 and 4 though in his last 5, a bit of a rough patch. From Brazil, 27 years old, 5 foot 6 with a 70 inch reach out of ATS team. Height and reach advantage for Edgar Chires, but not a big one. Age, 27 for both, both guys. And again, amount of fights, very similar. But now recent fights and how they're going, like one guy's kind of going this way, one guy's kind of like struggling. We'll talk about that in a second. As for my little handy-dandy chart here, let me show you guys what we've got for our grades in these two guys. So experience-wise, very similar. Fighter IQ, edge to Chires. Cardio, edge to Chires. Striking and grappling all edging towards Shirez. When it comes to finishing ability, uh, very similar. Both guys, I know that Lacerda has been on a rough patch recently, but he does have finishing ability. We'll talk about that more in a moment, but both guys have the ability to end the fight. So for me, the props I like of the fight, knock when the distance, under two and a half, ends by submission anytime by either guy. The round two submission for Shirez is my method of victory. If you're going to play Lacerda, play him round one submission. It's going to be a juicy return, and that's where he's his most dangerous for our kryptonite these two guys inconsistency for Chires, he wins one or two loses a fight wins one loses a fight for lacerdo it's durability guys lost with four fights in a row i think he got finished in all four fights just yeah needs a win here badly okay back to this screen here let me grab my notes and all right so for Chires, mr edgar Chires, a mexican badass with 100 percent finish rate that means all his wins are by finish He's also an equal opportunity finisher. He can finish you by submission or knockout. His last two wins were by submission. If and when the fight hits the mat, look for him to move into situ situations where he could find a submission. For Shirez, he has strong cardio as well. He earned a fourth round submission win two fights ago in Fury FC. So we know he can go longer and still be effective and be able to finish someone. He went to decision versus Tatsuro and Carpenter, two guys that are currently in the UFC. So he's also shown that he can go the full distance with guys that are you know UFC caliber. If the fight gets past the first round, I think Shires will have a significant energy, cardio, stamina advantage here over Daniel Lacerda. As for Mr. Lacerda, needs a win to keep his contract. Bottom line, uh, he's winless in the promotion with four straight losses. To make matters worse, he was finished in all those losses. Twice in the first round, matter of fact. He has formidable wrestling, averages a takedown and a half per fight. Lacerda would be wise to manage his output and to pay more attention to his defense. He's absorbing 9.76 strikes per minute. Holy crap. 
if he doesn't improve his fighting style, his striking defense, the 27-year-old is not going to have a very long career. Okay. Now, like Sherez, he does his best work on the ground. Two of his last three wins were by submission, for Lacerda, that is. If he has a way of pulling off the upset, it's a round one submission. His cardio doesn't hold up after round number one. Of their last six combined wins between both fighters, four of them were by submission, other two being by knockout. A finish seems imminent. The spots we like from a betting perspective are the fight going under two and a half rounds, the fight does not go the distance, and the fight ends by submission. Next up, a middleweight bout, 185-pounders Roman Kopilov, the Russian versus Josh Fremd, the American. Mr. Fremd's currently lined at plus 280, at Kopilov at minus 355. Before we jump into the breakdown, we'll tell you that we do like Roman Kopilov by round number two submission. That is our prediction. Roman Kopilov, the Russian, pulling this off by a round, I'm sorry, round number two knockout. Is that submission? What's wrong with me? <laughs> Kopilov knockout round number two. That's our pick. Let's go over the numbers with you guys. All right. So Kopilov is 11 and two overall, three, two in his last five. Again, from Russia, 32 years old, six foot in high with a 75 inch reach. No gym listed here on Tapology. I don't know where he's training out of. If he's in Russia, probably training with a, a gang of nasty Russians, right? Josh Fremd, 11 and four overall, three, two in his last five. American fighter out of Pittsburgh, 29 years old. So a young guy, three years younger than Kopilov. He's six four. That's a big difference here. So Josh Fremd is six foot four compared to six six foot for Roman. But reach wise, Fremd only has a one inch reach advantage. So reach wise, it's about the same. And for Fremd, out of all he's out of all American, excuse me, MMA Academy. Yeah, Fremd is a very tall, long guy. That's his that's his thing. You know, he's very intimidating sort of guy. He stands very tall. As for their grading, let me pull up their grading real quick. All right. So experience wise, similar, right? Eleven and two, eleven and four. Fighter IQ, both guys tend to employ a somewhat intelligent game plan. Cardio checks out. Finishing, though, that's where Kapilov has an advantage and a big one because Kapilov is a very high-level finisher. Striking, Kapilov's a little sharper of a striker. And then grappling. I think Josh Fremd has a slight advantage in the grappling department, which we'll talk about that. For, for Kapilov, good take on defense, but not much of an offensive wrestler. The props are like here. Fight not going the distance, under two and a half rounds. The fight begins round number two. Submission win for Josh Fremd. I know that's going to be really chalky, I mean juicy, but uh, I'll look at that prop when it comes out because Fremd does have submission submission ability. Round number two KO is the method of victory for Kopilov. That's our prediction. As for their kryptonites, submission defense for Kopilov is a bit of a problem. And for Josh Fremd, volume needs to throw more, needs to land more. All right. As for our notes on these two wonderful young prospects, well, not young. Well, they're yeah, kind of young, 29, 30. I'm getting old. So these guys all seem like they're young to me. All right. Notes. Here we go. So Kopilov, a skilled striker with legit knockout power after winning his pro debut by decision in 2016. All of his wins are by knockout, including three wins in the UFC. Without question, the guy has legit striking. Now, though he is Russian, he isn't much of a wrestler. He typically doesn't initiate much wrestling his, on his own, but he does have good rush, wrestling defense, defending takedowns at a 90, 90% rate. It'll be interesting to see if Kopilov can successfully defend Frem's wrestling attempts. We're expecting Frem to mix in some grappling at some point. The key to success for Kopilov is making this a kickboxing match. He is a superior striker in every aspect. His technique is better, he hits harder, and he lands at a higher rate. Now, absent of a lucky knockout punch from Frem, Kopilov should easily win a striking type of contest. Notably, Kopilov has never been knocked out. He's got a chin, too. He's been submitted once, and he lost by decision to Durayev. 
If there's one weakness for Kopilov, it's his submission defense. There's no other way to explain why he was submitted by Carl Robertson. That's such an outlier, right? Because Carl Robertson, this guy's on a four-fight losing streak, barely hanging on to his UFC contract, hasn't won a fight in freaking like four years. But by coincidence, that last fight he won, it was over Roman Kopilov, and he submitted Kopilov. It's like, holy shit. Sometimes it's like it doesn't make any sense, right? For Josh Frem, a tall middleweight standing six foot four in height. Now, though he has a height advantage, the reach is not much of a difference between these two fighters. I mentioned that before. For Friend, surprisingly a good grappler for being so tall. You'd think, oh, this must be a kickboxer guy. He's actually more of a grappler. He has three submission wins on his record. He comes to this fight off of a decision win over Jamie Pickett in his last fight, which is the biggest win of his career. Pickett, say what you want, been around for a long time, pretty seasoned veteran. Now, for Friend, displayed strong cardio and good fighter IQ against Pickett. If he could put together a similar type of performance against Kopilov, got a shot here. The key to victory for Friend is to mix in grappling and to have some success with the grappling, position control, takedown or two, that kind of thing. It could be against the fence even, right? So dirty boxing, whatever he can do to mix things up and make this a close affair. At range, a, a prototypical kickboxing, boxing fight at range, Kopilov is going to win that fight. Now, just about everyone is going to be picking Kopilov here. And we get it. And probably Kopilov by knockout. We get it. His track record supports that. It almost forces you to look at him by knockout. Let's play devil's advocate, though, for a second. Kopilov has been submitted by an average grappler, Robertson, very average. We've seen champions like Shevchenko make mistakes, turn, give their back up, fall down, slip. It happens. It happens to the best of them. All it takes is one slip, like literally a slip on the mat for Kopilov to end up giving up his back. Next thing you know, you got this big-ass dude, Josh Fremd, on him trying to find a submission. So crazier shit's happen. We know Kopilov has submission defense deficiencies, right? A submission might be Frem's most realistic path to victory. That actually might be his best way to win the fight. I mean, again, I find it hard to believe he wins a striking affair for all three rounds. I find it hard to believe he's going to knock out Kopilov if he's ever knocked out. And Frem has low volume. So what's the realistic way for him to win the fight? Get to the ground, look for a submission, hopefully get his back. Frem by submission, something to consider. All right, some betting spots here you're going to consider are the fight Begins round number two. The fight does not go the full distance, though, and Kopilov is a parlay piece. And then last but not least, Fremd as a submission spot if it's uh, available, and it pays out the right return. But it should be a better fight than the line suggests. I don't believe that Kopilov is minus 355 against Josh Fremd. I mean, it is that, but I just don't believe he's that much better than Fremd. Fremd's pretty good, pretty good guy, pretty durable, and Kopilov right now is kind of in a bit of a role. But give me Kopilov. Round two knockout. That's our prediction. Next up, back to the women. Strawweight bout, 115-pounders, Lupita Godinez goes by Lupi. Up against Elise Reed. Not too far from my neck of the woods. Elise Reed is based out of Princeton, New Jersey. Before we give you guys the details of these two ladies, we'll tell you the pick. Elise Reed by decision is our prediction. Big dog here, a plus 320 for Elise Reed. Minus 410 for Lupita Godinez. I'm going to save you some money here. Yeah, do not... Do not, do not, do not, do not parlay Lupita Godinez. Don't do it. It's nothing personal. I'm not here to, to rain on her parade. I think she's got tons of potential. I think she's a formidable wrestler, as we've seen. She should be favored. All those things are true. But, but, we're talking about numbers, and as we just saw with uh, Adesanya, who's a very accomplished champion, you know, shit happens. Both fighters are trying to win the fight. And Elise Reed is no slouch. She's no punk. Not going to give up. Yeah, she's been finished before. Durability issues. We'll talk about all that. But Lupita Godinez has dropped the bag. 
fumble, fumbling the bag doesn't cover what she's done as a favorite. You can argue, well, it wasn't fair, it's a decision. You don't bet Lupita Godinez at minus 450. Not now, not next year, not next week, not against anyone. You never do it. It's going to cost you, and it's cost people before. So let me help save you some money. Do not parlay Lupita Godinez. Okay, after the details, Lupita is 10-3 and three overall. 4-1 her last five from Mexico, now based out of British Columbia, Canada. So again, a lot of Mexican fighters on this card. 30 years old for Lupita, 5'2 in high with a 61-inch reach out of Titan MMA. For Elise Reed, based out of New Jersey, 7-3 overall, 30 years old, which is surprising. I'm like, I thought that Elise would be older, but they're actually the same age, 30 years old. 5'3 in high for Elise with a 63-inch reach out of Kickside Martial Arts, a gym that she co-owns and manages, and so she's a businesswoman. Military background for Elise Reed. Elise would be the slightly taller fighter and slightly longer. It's negligible. Inter two. Either way. Not much. All right. As for our grading these two fighters, let me pull up their grades. Our Excel sheet. Experience. 10 and 3, 7 and 3. About the same. They fought some competition. Fighter IQ. I give an edge to Elise Reed. Uh, I, I think Lupita Godinez could very well be one of the lowest graded fighters I've ever graded out for Fighter IQ. She is prone to making mistakes, and I'm not talking about her real intelligence in real life. I'm not talking about her academic. I'm not calling her stupid. No, no, no. I'm saying her fight decisions are terrible. <laughs> I'm saying that she puts herself in situations where she turns fights that she should easily win into fights that are close. Terrible decision making, which we'll go over. And until I see her make those improvements consistently, absolutely would never bet on the Bita Coutinho's. Cardio, uh, pretty good for both sides. Uh, finishing ability. Neither guy has finishing ability, or neither lady has finishing ability. So this fight's going to go the distance. Striking, I think Elise Reed is the is the better striker. She uses a very awkward, hands are low. She's hitting you from weird angles. It's not an easy style to pick up on, where Lupita is more like a robotic, you know, bang, 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 bang. So give me Reed there in the striking department. And for grappling, yeah, I think Godinus is the better grappler. She's got more power in the clinch. Her arms are thicker. She's stronger. We've seen Reed get controlled and lose fights and get torn apart on the ground, uh, Sajar Eubanks. So, you know, that can happen to Reed. I would imagine Godinez, if she were to institute a smart game plan, which she doesn't do, uh, it'd be easier for her to win the fight. All right. Fight going the full distance over 1.5 rounds begins round number three. The split props on both sides. All props will be considering. And for the method of victory, it's going to be decision by Reed. Kryptonite for these two fighters. Godinez, her finish rate. What finishes? There's none, like six, seven fights in a row, no finishes, no finishes. For Elise Reed, her kryptonite is durability. She tends to get finished when she loses the fight. <laughs> so, all right, let me pull back up their uh, visuals there, and let's go over here to my notes. What say we of this fight? Elise Reed, by decision, is the prediction for Miss Reed, a balanced fighter with strong cardio. She utilizes, utilizes an awkward fighting style that keeps her opponents off balance, she entered this fight off a decision win over Jinyu Fry. The line suggests that she has little to no shot to win. In reality, she's one of the most capable underdogs on this card, based upon our analyses. Now, just when people doubt her, that's when Elise Reed shows up. Reed doesn't lack toughness. She'll bring a lot of energy to the fight. She also gets the crowd involved. This is very smart on the part of Elise Reed. She gets the people going, like Will Ferrell said. She'll put her arms up after rounds. She'll, you know... She'll engage the audience. 
I believe that's why she's where she's at in the fight card. That's why Elise Reed's actually a little higher up in the prelim card because she tends to be what they call a gamer. In fights where it's close, you're just like, yeah, who's winning the fight? Just a little bit of swagger goes a long way. So she knows how to do that. Elise Reed, again, she is smart, businesswoman, former military. She's sharp. She knows what she's doing there. So expect her to invoke some type of way of getting the crowd involved. Now, mind you, Lupita Godinez, the former Mexican slash Canadian, where I should say former, she is Mexican. <laughs> she used to live in Mexico. Her family fled Mexico because they were living in a territory that was like infested with the narcos and her family, their safety actually became a problem. So they actually fled to Mexico. They became in essence refugees. So she is Mexican. She should have the Mexican contingent behind her, but don't, don't listen. Reads, reads a gamer. She'll come out there. She went over the crowd. That's how she does things. So um, in a fight like this, scorecards get close. I want the fighter who's going to, you know, having a little bit of machismo and looking how she has some swagger. If this fight goes to the full distance, you do not want to be holding that Godinez ticket at minus four, 400. And I say as a parlay piece, right? You're going to have her as a parlay piece. Like, you're going to just be sweating the shit out of that. It's not going to be comfortable. And if she loses, you're going to say, damn it, what was I doing? Now, Reed welcomes the underdog role. She knows what that is about. She embraces the whole idea of, of being the person that people doubt. And she wants to pull off the victory. If anyone could do it, it's her. Now, the one major weakness we have for Reed, we talked about before, is durability. She's been finished in all three of her defeats. Now, fortunately for her, Godinez is not a finisher. We talked about this before. For Godinez, she's been to decision in her last six fights. The lack of finishing ability, punching power, for Godinez should give Reed the confidence to be able to get engaged with her close. So, I mean, if, if Reed knows that Godinez can't hit very hard, then Reed can play with her more in, in the pocket. She can let a few of her hands go more. Now, takedowns will be a different thing. If Godinez commits to takedowns, Reed needs to be defending takedowns. But if it becomes a punching fight back and forth, yeah, Reed's got a shot in that one. Now for Godinez, one of the busiest fighters in the roster, this bout will mark her fifth fight in the last seven, 16 months, I'm sorry. So five fights in 16 months. What separates her from the competition is her grappling. She averages 3.43 takedowns per fight, when she commits to wrestling, when she could hang her hat on wrestling, she could beat anyone in the division. On the other hand, her striking is vanilla and she eats too many punches. Her decision loss to Jessica Penne is a prime example of how poor fighter IQ can lead to losses. Godinez had plenty of opportunities to Godinez had sorry, had plenty of opportunities to win that fight and take over the fight versus Penne. Instead, like she would do this. Like she literally picked up Penne, like picked her whole body up and threw her on the ground. Like tossed her like a stuffed animal. And now you have Jessica on the ground, laying her back. And Lupita would not engage her because oh, I'm worried about getting submitted, whatever. Girlfriend, win the fight. So she had multiple opportunities to take over the fight. Instead, made poor decisions, made the fight very close. I mean, she grades out literally as one of the, the for lack of a better word, the dumbest fighters in the roster. And I mean that from, again, fighter standpoint. I'm not talking about her. Per it's not personal. Lupita might be the smartest academic person. I don't know. No idea. I'm talking about her poor decision-making in fights. It's cost her fights. She was a minus 360 favorite against Hill. Lost. <laughs> minus 225 favorite against Luana Carolina. Lost. A minus 285 favorite against Jessica Penne. And she lost. And now, and now you got her at minus one range? Hell no. Hell no. Sell this bag of craziness someplace else. They're not taking my money here. I'm not betting on Lupita Codinius at this price tag. Not now. Not tomorrow. Not after a few drinks. No, no, no. We could see Godinez engaging in a few regretful exchanges that leave her wearing the damage. That's another thing about Godinez. She tends to wear it. Her face gets red quickly, bloody nose, superficial damage. That's going to all play a factor. Now, at least Reed can get cut, too. They both have light skin. At least Reed's even whiter. But, man, 
Gudinas is a bleeder. If she starts bleeding and the nose and you got Reed dancing around, like, you know, she thinks she's the reincarnation of Roy Jones Jr. And she's doing all this awkward stuff. In a close fight, a little blood can make all the difference in the world. There's irrefutable evidence. There's statistical proof that Godinez is a risky play. It's not my opinion. There's actual evidence of this. Remember I said she was minus 360 favorite against Hill. Minus 225 against Carolina. Luana Carolina. She lost to Luana Carolina. She lost to Jessica Penny. You know, we've got to refrain from including her on the parlays this weekend. I'm sorry. Got to do it. The betting spots here. Over 2.5 rounds. The fight goes the full distance. Super sweaty. Read as a money line play, and we'll sprinkle the split decision props when they come out if they're not too under, underpriced. Thank me after the weekend's over. Thank me later and say, hey, this guy told me, do not touch this with a 10-foot pole. The main card opens up with a featherweight bout between Fernando Padilla from Mexico and Kyle Nelson, the American fighter. Before we go over their details, let me give you our picks to win. Or our pick to win, right? <laughs> we do like Mr. Fernando Padilla by round two knockout. Not a surprising pick. If you know how he fights, this guy's he's there to he's there to have a good time. But he's not there for a long time. Knockout power, submission ability, the whole nine. For Kyle Nelson, coming off of a big win himself, not to be overlooked in the spot by any means. Both guys have similar experience, and they're both game to win the fight. This is not going to be a lopsided fight, I don't believe. The line's appropriate, minus 260 for Padilla, plus 210 for Kyle Nelson. And uh, let's go to their details. All right, so just a screen there for you guys. Um, numbers, numbers. Now, I love numbers. Let's get numbers. Numbers drive the world, right? Numbers make the world go around. Featherweight bout, that's 145 pounders. Fernando Padilla, who goes by El Valiente. 15 and 4 overall, 4 1 his last five from Mexico. 26 years young. Wow, this guy's the sky's the limit for this kid, right? Six foot one in high weight, 76 inch reach out of pro athletes for Kyle Nelson, the monster, El Monstro. 14, 5 and 1 overall, 2, 2 and 1 his last five from Huntsville, Ontario, Canada, 32 years old. 5'11 with a 71 inch reach out of House of Champions and Muskoka, Muskoka kickboxing as a primary place where he trains. Obvious differences here are age, right? So you got four, six, six years age different here for Kyle Nelson. Not too old by any means, but definitely the older fighter. A slight height advantage and reach advantage for Padilla. Uh, not sure that'll be a big deal in the fight, but uh, that's their, their measurables. Okay. As for our grading these two guys in the main card, right? First fight, the main card. Nice. Experience wise, you know, 15 and 4, 15, 14 and 5, very similar, right? Fighter IQ, both guys employ, you know, goods, goods fighting tactics. Cardio, hmm. you know, Padilla, interesting character here. Like, you can't say he doesn't have cardio at all. He's been the distance before, but he tends to slow down dramatically after that first half of the fight. So, give me Nelson with the better cardio finishing ability. Yeah, Padilla's the better finisher. No question about that. Striking, Padilla's dangerous. I like his striking better than Nelson. And for grappling, I think Padilla is also the better grappler. So the only area that we feel that Nelson has an advantage is, is in cardio. But man, that's a big area to, area to be better in. Of course, you can weaponize it later in the fight. The props would like here the fight not going the full distance. Nelson, I'm uh, sorry, over 1.5 rounds. The fight begins round number two. Padilla to win inside the distance because he does have submission abilities along, along with knockout power. The round two knockout for Padilla is the method of victory. For their fighters, for their fighter kryptonites, what they're weak at for Pradillo, it's uh, it's cardio. Question mark on that. And for Kyle Nelson, inconsistent. He can't put three or four fights together in a row. He'll win one or two. 
drop a fight, so on and so forth. All right, let me get back over here to uh, my notes. Mr. Padilla by round two knockout is the prediction for Padilla. Exciting prospect with a flair for dramatic finishes. 13 of his 15 victories were inside the distance. I repeat, 13 of his 15 wins did not require the judges. He's equally as dangerous on the ground as he is on the feet. He'll have a few inches of reach height, and height over Nelson. Padilla finished Julian Arosa with a round one knockout earlier this year in his UFC debut. Now, prior to signing with the UFC, he fought guys like Dan Ige, Spike Carlisle, and Derek Miner, all guys in the regional scene who all made their way to the UFC at some point. The biggest knock on Padilla, I'm sorry, the biggest knock on Padilla is the cardio. He slows down considerably in the second half of the fight. Of the six decisions that he's been to, so he's been to six, he's been to the decision six times. He can go the full distance, but all the six times he went to, he lost four of those fights. He won two. So clearly, if you're looking to get to this kid and make it tougher for him, take him later, right? Nelson, you're gonna get Kyle Nelson, make this a three-round fight if you want to get a chance to win. Now, though Padilla employs a reckless fighting style, I mean, this guy gets wild at times. He's never been finished. Mexican, got that Mexican chin. Lest we forget, Padilla has the Mexican warrior running through his veins. This guy can take a punch. He gets wild. He's a, a flair for the dramatic. Again, he's going to test Kyle Nelson's ability to stay focused and keep this fight under control. Because if Kyle Nelson tries to play the game with Padilla of getting wild in return, uh -uh, not a good idea. <laughs> for Nelson, coming off a big win over Blake Builder, right? Blake Builder, that was a spot where he was a plus 230 underdog. So great win there for Nelson. He needed it pretty badly. He was going, he was on a streak before that. He was one, four, and one before that fight. So, yeah, he needed to win pretty badly. He bought a smart game plan and did what was necessary to win the fight. Now, Nelson would be wise to attempt a similar game plan here against Padilla. Padilla is at his peak powers in round number one. He slowly declines as the fight goes on. If Nelson could survive that first wave, the first round, he's got a shot to pick up rounds two and three. For Nelson, he'll probably attempt to mix in some takedowns or at least to get some grappling control on the feet to slow down Padilla. Nelson's ability to take down Padilla could determine the outcome of the fight. For Nelson averaging 1.37 takedowns per fight, I wouldn't categorize him as a high-level wrestler, but he's got it in the toolbox. Can he use it? If Nelson get if Nelson get takedowns and wear him out, he's got a chance here. If Nelson is unable to bring him to the ground, though, and forced to fight in the feet for long periods of time, he's playing with fire. Padilla's going to knock him out. Betting strategy here. All right. Fight starts round number two. We like that spot. Padilla into the distance. Like that spot as well. We'll also sprinkle the split decision props when they come out because we can see this fight being very, very close where, you know, Padilla has a really good opening round, has a good moment in two in round number two, and then fades. And then we have Kyle Nelson finishing the fight in a strong suit. And next thing you know, we have ourselves a split, right? If you like Nelson in this fight, Nelson by decision is the way to go. That's my opinion. So give me Padilla, though, by round number two knockout. This kid's exciting. He'll be so stoked to be in front of the fans and you know, UFC Noche, he's Mexican, very proud. Um, like this kid a lot. I, I don't have nothing against Kyle Nelson. If he wins, good for him too. We kind of want to see Padilla win, right? Kind of want to see him get in the knockout, keep going up the ladder. This kid's got some uh, got some moxie. All right, let's move on. Next up, Daniel Zellhuber versus Christos Giagos in a lightweight bout. And before we get to the details, we'll give you our pick to win. Christos Giagos by decision. Oh, I know it's going to be against people's you know, picks. I know people are going to like Daniel Zellhuber, Zellhuber here. And we do like the kid too. And he probably will win. But we're going to be contrarian on this pick. I'll explain to you why. Zellhuber is currently minus 270 in the line. You got plus 220 for Christos Giagos. Again, a lightweight bout. That's 155 pounders. We like Giagos by decision to upset Daniel Zellhuber. As for the numbers in these two guys, let me pull up their stats. For Zellhuber, goes by the Golden Boy. 13-1 overall, 4 in his last 5 from Mexico, 24 years old. 
He's six foot one hundred seventy seven inch reach trades out of Extreme Couture Excellent Gym in Las Vegas. For Mr. Giagos, the Spartan, 20 and 10 overall, a little more experience, three and two in his last five. He's in a dog in the spot out of Hathorne, California, 33 years old, a little bit older, about six, nine, nine years older to be specific. Five foot 10 for Giagos with a 71 and a half inch reach out of Black House of MMA. Now, according to Tapology, big reach advantage there for Zell Hooper and a slight height advantage. We'll see how that pans out during the, the face-offs and on fight day. All right, as for my notes on these two guys, or actually before the notes, let me get to the, the grading on these two guys, right? The grading chart. All right. So experience-wise, big edge for Christoph Giagos for obvious reasons. Fighter IQ, similar. Cardio, both very strong cardio. Finishing ability, eh. Like, you know, Giagos knocked out his last opponent, but, like, he didn't really knock out a guy. He doesn't really do that, re you know, on the regular. And for Zellhuber, he's more of a volume fighter. So I, I do expect this fight to go longer. Striking, I give Zellhuber the advantage there. He's more volume, more active, higher pace. And then for grappling... That's the key to success for Giagos. Experience in grappling. He's the better of the two when it comes to grappling. The props I like here, not many. The fight going the distance, over two and a half, and then Giagos by decision. The kryptonite these two fighters, for Zellhuber, excuse me, is his youth. He's 24. He's still very young. It's not a bad thing, but he's prone to making mistakes, prone to maybe getting taken down and controlled. He's prone to letting a veteran come in here and you know sort of outmaneuver him. That's what better veterans do. And for Giagos, 33 years old, he's getting long the tooth, the damage. You know, how much more does he have left? Those are my concerns with him. All right, let's go over to the uh, my notes of these two guys. All right, so again, Zellhuber minus 270, Giagos plus 220. We like Giagos to win by decision. This fight comes down to whether or not Giagos can get secure a takedown. That's pretty much the entire fight. Like, if he gets no takedowns, he lose. He gets a takedown, he wins. You know what I'm saying? If he can't get Zellhuber down, he's going to get picked apart in the feet. Zellhuber lands almost double the amount of strikes per minute and pushes a much active pace. Jagos is a solid wrestler, though. Jagos averages 3.16 takedowns per fight. I mean, that could be, that's got to be it. He's got to get a few takedowns and rack up position control. For Jagos, he packs a powerful punch, but doesn't throw enough volume for me to be worried about Daniel Zellhuber getting knocked out. But in the case of Jagos, he did knock out his last opponent, Ricky Glenn, with a hook early in round number one. It looked good, but it was more like a flash knockout. You know what I mean? For Jagos, it's hard-pressed for him to outperform Zellhuber on the feet for 15 minutes. I just don't see it happening. He's going to have to level change. He's going to have to take him down and control him for significant periods of time. At that point, also could become like what the judges see, what they value, like uh, takedown, position control, kind of boring, versus Zellhuber is doing more striking. Whichever fighter can implement their game plan, make the other fighter fight their style, that fighter wins the fight. Pretty simple. They both have a lot of decisions on their record. So they're both going through the distance a lot and using judges to determine their outcome of their fights. At first glance, we were leaning towards Zellhuber. He's younger, right? I mean, he's spry, bigger future, Mexican, the striking is superior. All those things are check out. That's true. But after further thought, we're not so confident in him, especially the price tag, right? He's lined at minus 270, almost minus 300. Is he that much better than Jagos? Like, is Jagos washed? I don't know, man. I don't know. Jagos has tools to muck this up and make it ugly. He's got this skill set to make this a problem assuming let's just assume for a second which always makes an ass out of people but assuming you know just gets a takedown man in, in round one just just round one gets a position control for a, a period of time it just drains the Hoover, slows his ass down a little bit he's so young and spry it's gonna change the game you know so for Jagos, he knows the assignment it's got to involve takedown slowing down zohuber zohuber knows the assignment too defend takedowns get back to your feet get taken down keep it at range volume 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 go out there put on a show Betting spots here. The fight going over 1.5 rounds. I think that's a gimme. These guys are pretty durable. The fight's going to probably have some time on the clock. And then the fight starts round number three. I don't have other, other plays I like right now. I would look at Jagos by decision maybe. 
Maybe a split props too. If you like Zellhuber, it's probably a decision as well. But a fight that I don't have a great read on. As a matter of fact, the fight that I had the least confidence either way, which of course led me to now going to Jagos. I'm not a lot of you. The line has also influenced me too, which it probably shouldn't influence me this much. But it, if it was a pick em, I'd probably go with Daniel Zellhuber, but it's not a pick em. <laughs> you got you got Jagos, a veteran at plus 220. Um, you know, I got to go with him here by decision. Let's move on. Next up, Raul Rosas Jr. versus Terrence Mitchell, a bantamweight bout. These boys are 135 pounders, not too big, very athletic. Before we get into the breakdown, we'll give you our pick to win. We like Raul Rosas Jr. by round one submission. That is our expectation. He's a huge favorite right now. Minus 535 currently as of 8.14 a.m. on Tuesday morning. And Terrence Mitchell is a big dog here, plus 400. I wanted to go into this fight, finding a way for Mitchell to win, and then I was like, you know what, I'm, I gave up. I couldn't find a way. This is clearly UFC giving Rosas a proverbial layup, a chance for him to get back in the win column. He's 18, and for whatever reason, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but for whatever reason, the UFC is very high on this kid, like super-duper high. And after that last performance, <laughs> I think they have to re- calibrate the expectations uh, like for example he was a huge favorite last fight was in the opening spot on the main card <laughs> he got upset and i wasn't even it wasn't even close he got bullied don't let him bully you he got bullied around the block and then he got outworked and cardio was terrible he looked one-dimensional and sloppy and wrestling went out the window and and now he's back in the main card even higher up <laughs> i mean figure that one out Unless the UFC is super high on the kid. I mean, does Terrence Mitchell belong on the main card of any kind of UFC fight? <laughs> I mean, like, let's look at the reality here. So, yeah, I, I mean, the UFC, I get it. He's young. Put this fight on the prelim card, though. Put this on the prelim card. My goodness. All right, I gave you my two cents on that one. Let's get into the particulars Again, round one submission by Raul Rosas is our expectation, is our prediction. For Rosas, who goes by El Nino Problema, which obviously means the, the problem child, the problem boy. 7-1 overall, 4-1 his last five from Santa Rosa, California, but obviously has roots in Mexico. 18 years old in 11 months and one week, so he still has about three years before he can drink. <laughs> He's five foot nine, or drink legally. He's five foot nine with a 67-inch reach. I went with the drinking ages in Mexico. Probably not 21. Did you ever Google that there? What's the drinking age in Mexico? Drinking age in Mexico. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's 18 years old. Go figure. He can drink in Mexico. The minimum legal age to drink in Mexico is 18. <laughs> All right. All right, man. Okay. So uh, he can drink there. He just can't drink here. For Terrence Mitchell, who goes by Terra Bear. Oh, that's cute. Terra Bear. 14-3 overall. 4-1 his last five. Big dog here. Out of Anchorage, Alaska. We're going to talk about that in a moment. 33 years old. This man's almost double the age. No, he's not double the age, but he's a lot older than uh, Raul Rosas Jr. He's old enough to be like his uncle or something. And for Mitchell, he's 5'10". No reach number on him. He's got long-ass arms, though. He's out of garage crew. You guys don't remember Rick Mitchell. He was on Ultimate Fighter back in the day. Got molly whopped. <laughs> All right, as for the grades in these two fighters, let me pull up their grading charts, and uh, here's what we have. Experience, edge to Mitchell. Obviously, 17 fights. Rosas, eight fights. I will say this about Rosas. Has a, a long background. Well, however long he can. He's only 18 years old. Obviously, background in wrestling, but also a background in grappling, too. 
for years, professional years of experience. Rose has only been a pro for two years, though. And Mitchell's been a pro for 14 years. Not the most active 14 years, but still been a pro for a lot longer. Fighter experience, edge to Mitchell, fighter IQ. I, you know, both guys do some really uh, – I'm not I'm not high in their fighter IQ, but that way. Cardio, Mitchell's the better guy for cardio. I, I, Rosas Jr. looked awful in his last fight. Cardio was awful. Um, finishing ability, uh, Rosas is the better finisher. Mitchell would have to win by points here. Striking, yeah, don't sign me up for a striking battle between these two guys. That is going to look terrible if that ends up happening. But if it happens, it would favor Mitchell, I guess. Grappling, uh, Debbie Rose is the better grappler. Mitchell is, you know, he's an average, he's an average everything. He's an average fighter. He's a Alaska regional scene type of guy who's getting this wonderful opportunity because the UFC needs to feed Rosas something. The fight goes to decision. Submission prop win for Rosas Jr. Over 1.5 rounds. Round one submission for Rosas is the method of victory. As for the kryptonites in these two fighters, Rosas, age, cardio, decision making, biting off more than he could chew, a lot of shit. For Terrence Mitchell, his issue is durability. Man, just, you know, not, not a very good chin. We'll talk about that in a second. So, yeah, big concerns here for Rosas are he's 18, been a pro for two years, a bantamweight bout. Uh, let's get back to our notes in these two fighters. All right. All right, again, Rosas minus 535, Mitchell plus 400. I'm not playing Mitchell like as an outright dogger pass. I don't believe he's got the ability to win the fight, but the line is kind of stupid. Minus 535 for a guy like Rosas who looked just rash in his last fight, and he's unproven. He's 18. It's the it, listen. Here's how the here's how the money here's how the uh, the the bookies make money. They make you pay this price tag. You put this into your parlay, and you bust it all up. They're making you pay the chalk here on this, right? So Rosas is an overrated prospect, in my opinion. He's got tons of holes in his game. The UFC is handing him a gift here by giving him Terrence Mitchell. At this price tag, though, we want no parts of betting on Rosas, not as a parlay piece. No way. He's a strong grappler. He's a grappler. Strong grappler with good submission skills. Unfortunately, his striking is terrible, and he's very one-dimensional. On top of that, cardio is trash. I mean, it's all due respect. Rosas is very young. He's got time to improve. He's probably a nice kid, but his cardio was what it was last fight. It was not good. It was trash. Now, Rosas fans better hope, they better hope that he finishes Mitchell in that first five minutes. If not, I think we could see a repeat of what happened last fight where he gets he gets sloppy, he's shooting for takedowns, like crawling on the ground. It just, it's bad optics. Um, we've already seen how that can work, and we've seen him melt, you know, in later rounds. So, you know, for him, if you like him here, you got to like him in round number one. And you got to also hope that he's fixing the cardio. Like better stamina management. He's a little overconfident in his last fight. Press conference talking about, yeah, you know, if you want to be like me, get the main card. You got to, you know, it's like, dude, calm down. This is a big fight for Rosas. He 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 doesn't need, if he were to lose this fight, oh my goodness. <laughs> now, Mitchell had a cup of coffee on the Ultimate Fighter a few years ago. He lost his only fight, 30 seconds. <laughs> Knockout. After the Ultimate Fighter, he returned back to Alaska, where he had been fighting before on the regional scene. Picked up three straight wins by submission. Looking good, right? Look, this guy is not UFC caliber. UFC called upon him to step in here on late notice. Or they called upon him to step upon step in against late notice against Cameron Saman a few months ago. As expected, Mitchell was finished in the first round. Like He's not UFC material. They need to give Cameron Saman someone that had a spot open. You know, the reality is Mitchell's going to be a journeyman here, fight a few fights, and probably get cut. Like, if you look at his projected path to here, it's probably two, three fights, he gets cut. I mean, UFC just needs bodies. He's just the guy filling in, you know? So here's another thing, though, consider. UFC is contender series, road to UFC, all these different promotions to get more bodies. They still have a need for more guys. Terrence Mitchell is probably not UFC material. 
but they have to give Rosas somebody that he can easily beat. And so what do you do? You call a guy from Alaska who, who didn't make it 30 seconds with Kaikara France on the Ultimate Fighter, who couldn't get out of the first round of his last fight, and you say this is the perfect guy to give Raul Rosas Jr. So, I mean, to me, it's pretty obvious. Matrix is giving Rosas Jr. an easy fight, and as bad as he looked in his last fight, this is probably a get-right fight for him. Goes out there round number one, gets a submission. So if he does not win this fight, though, woo-wee, alarm bells go off, and now it's like, here's a kid who, when he got signed, I said, here's my theory on this kid. I thought at 17, 18, whatever he was when he signed with the UFC, don't have him go pro. He should just fight amateur for a few more years or fight regional scene. It doesn't make any actual sense for an 18, 17-year-old body brain to be getting banged around in the UFC. He benefits nothing from this at this age. No man strength yet. It hasn't finished puberty, basically. So I don't get the idea of like, oh, let's get him in here. Let's fast track him. Now what we're doing is this. Now we're giving him guys that are not even real fighters and putting him on the main card, too. Like, it's kind of poopy. You know what I mean? Kind of poopoo caca. So betting strategy here. The fight does not go the distance. Rosas by submission. I believe round number one, probably. And then Mitchell on the money line. I mean, Mitchell at plus 100. Fuck it. You know, what is it? 10, 15 bucks to make 100 bucks type of thing. You know, it's... I don't believe in Rosas. I think Rosas Jr. and I believe Lupita Godinez are two big traps in this card. And I, I just don't think that they've done enough to warrant those kind of lines. So, again, we're going to go with Rosas Jr. by round one submission. But be very careful here. Let's move on. All right. Next fight in the card is where things get very serious. A welterweight bout between Kevin Holland, a name you may have heard of, a guy who's been a company man with the UFC for a few years. And then Jack De La Maddalena. Cool name there for Jack De La Maddalena. It's a name you kind of want to keep saying again and again. He's coming off of a fight that was a full-on sweat-your-ass-off, huge favorite, barely wins by split, probably didn't win, but kind of did win. We'll talk about that. And for Kevin Holland, I mean, never saw a fight or heard of a fight that he didn't want to take. <laughs> you know, this guy's always ready for battle. Super fun, fan favorite, uh, inconsistent would be a nice way of categorizing Kevin Holland. Let me give you guys my pick to win. Let's get into the details in these two guys. So Kevin Holland, by decision, is the pick. That is our prediction. He's currently lined at plus 125. You got Jack Delamadalena at minus 150. I'll tell you what. Had Jack Delamadalena knocked out his last opponent like he had been doing, like finishing people, he would be lined at minus like 300 here. He would have been a big favorite. But that last fight, wow. It came, everything came crashing to a halt. Like all the, all the hype on jack was like whoa pump the brakes what happened here against a guy that he should have destroyed it got really close we'll talk about that fight more in a moment but again we like kevin holland by decision as for their side-by-side -side information their details i say to you this holland's 25 and 9 three two in his last five from fort worth texas 30 years old in 10 months about to be 31 holland six foot three will be about four inches taller than jack dale Atlanta, with about nine inch reach advantage as well for kevin holland 81 81 inches to 73 that's actually eight inches. I did my math wrong there. Eight inches eight advantage for Kevin Holland. And for Holland, Travis Luther BJJ is his listed uh, gym on Tapology, but now he's training out of his own gym, I believe. He has his own little traveling circus with guys like Terrence McKinney and stuff, so um, kind of doing his own thing. All right, for Jack Dillon Magdalena, 15-2 overall, 5-0 and zero in his last five. Barely. He's from Australia. What happened last week? He should have been on the Australian card, right? He just like a week late. You know, He's probably like, damn, dude, I wanted to be on that card. From Perth, Australia, actually. So that's the, the western side. That event was in Sydney, right? So oh, he's not really from that part of Australia. Anyway, 27 years young for Jack De La Maddalena, who looks like he's 37. The guy's face looks like he's been a mobster for years up in, like, you know, Boston. But he's young, 27 years old, 5'11 again, 73 inch reach, no gym listed here on Tapology for Jack De La Maddalena. As for my grades on these two guys, let me pull up the grading chart. And here we go. 
experience the edge to Kevin Holland is 25 and 9. Yeah. 15 and 2. Obviously, a lot more fights. He's fought guys that are high level, champion level, that kind of thing. Fighter IQ, you know, I want to give Kevin Holland a lower grade, but it's it's not like he's a dumb fighter. He just employs silly tactics, put it that way. So fighter IQ, about the same. Cardio, both guys have good cardio, very strong down the stretch. Finishing ability, I mean both can finish people too. Striking. I like Jack Dela's power. I like Kevin Holland's length, arm length, combinations. He's swift with it, clean. Um, probably doesn't hit as hard as Madalena, though. And for grappling, low-key Kevin Holland is one of the best black belt jiu-jitsu practitioners in the welterweight division. He just doesn't use it all the time. It's super confusing. It's, again, fighter IQ kind of thing, making stupid decisions. Like the Stephen Thompson fight didn't make any sense. Anyway, the fight going over 1.5 rounds. Fight goes to distance. The split props. And Madalena by decision or Holland by decision are the, sp the spots we're looking at. For the kryptonite for each guy, uh, last fight for Madalena. I don't know what to make of it. Uh, a lot got exposed there. A lot was sort of unpacked. And uh, so I'm just curious about him now after that last fight. And then for Holland, his biggest issue is focus. He's like a class clown, man. Always having a good time. It's like, dude, focus on the fight. All right, let me pull back up their profiles here and then give you guys my written breakdown of these two. So again, Madalena minus 150, Holland at plus 125. A welterweight clash. We like Holland by decision. For Jack's last performance, he left a lasting impression with most mixed martial arts fans. Now, though he won by split decision, it appeared he lost. His all of his weaknesses were exposed in that fight. Even a little bit of cardio and like pace and pressure, he lacked it at the end. He was behind. He needed to do more, and he couldn't do it. Imagine now, that was against a guy who's an unproven prospect who was coming in to get beat up by Jack. Now he's fighting Kevin Holland. It's like, if Jack Maudelina fights the way he fought against that dude and gets Holland now, he's going to lose. Holland, for, for for whatever Holland is, Holland is still a very good mixed martial artist, a very accomplished guy. It is a good spot for him. We've seen Jack has, you know, some limitations. Now, for Holland, he's not the most reliable fighter. <laughs> you know, just when you think you could count on this guy and you thought oh, he's going to win the fight, uh, he'll let it slip away. He's never a safe bet and someone we often look to fade. Now, all that said, he's a skilled fighter with a balanced attack. Holland will have a significant grappling advantage in this fight, and he could even pull up a submission. All kidding aside about the joking and stuff, like the class clown stuff, Holland is a Swiss army knife. The guy is a lethal mixed martial artist. He has finishing skills, strong cardio, and effective jab. And did I say strong BJJ? Yeah, very good BJJ skills. When Holland is on his A game, when he's focused, he can compete with anyone in the world at the 170-pound division. Just all depends upon how he's doing upstairs. Like, is he going to talk the entire time to Dana during the fight? Is he going to? It just depends. Those things are cute and they're funny, but when you're on your back losing a fight or losing the fight in general, it's not so funny. <laughs> Neither fighter can be trusted. It's the theme of this entire card. You've got people like Rosas and Lupita, people that you cannot trust with your hard-earned money. Holland is a class clown who cares more about entertainment than winning fights. I mean, he's literally lost fights because he cares more about, oh, I, I want to put on a show. The Stephen Thompson fight, I'm not kidding you. He could have easily mounted, got on top of Stephen Thompson. Thompson was on his back. And he's like, no, no, I want to make a stand-up battle. And just goes out there and just swings back and forth for three rounds, loses the fight. But it was a good show. It was a good time. It was fun. Kevin Holland had fun. Entertainment. I'm a class clown. So it's like betting on him, huge risk. <laughs> it's as if he doesn't care about winning. He just cares to have a good time. And you know what? His contract probably has in there, like, winning is not important. Just put on a good show. Company man. Do you want to put your money behind a guy who fights like that? Who doesn't even care if he wins or loses, let alone if you're going to win your bet. 
On the other hand, do you want to bet on Jack Maddalena after that last performance? I mean, he barely squeezed out a split against a guy who he was a huge favorite over. Yeah. I'm scared. I would be very, very cautious about how you bet this fight. And a matter of fact, the better spots for me are going to be distance-related props, not who wins the fight, not money line. It's like just the fight starting round number two, going over 1.5 rounds. Those spots to me are most appealing. I'll have limited exposure to the fight. I like Kevin Holland, though, and I like him to win the fight by decision or submission. And I'm giving you the oars here, but uh, give me Kevin Holland to win the fight by decision. That's our pick. Let's move on. And we've made it. We are up to the main event. These two female Warriors champions will be squaring off. Alexa Grasso, the current title holder in the flyweight division, up against Valentina Shevchenko, looking to reclaim her crown, get it back, get herself back on track. I'm torn here. I yeah, I could see a world where both fighters win. I could see a world where Grasso defends her title and, and the guard has officially been passed and she's the new undisputed champion with no question. And, and Shevchenko begins her descent. At the end of her career, I can see that happening. I see Shevchenko reclaiming her title and, and continuing what she was doing her last fight. She was winning the last fight. People say she was winning that fight until a big mistake. And so there's a, a, a way where both ladies could win these fights. And the line is appropriate. Minus 165 for Shevchenko, plus 140 for Grasso. Though notably, Grasso won the last fight and got a finish. So it's kind of weird that she was the dog. But uh, nonetheless, Grasso, the first time around, was like a plus, <laughs> like a plus four or 500 underdog. So the lines have moved quite a bit from the first time around. It's a lot more, you know, about, not a pick them, but more even. Shevchenko's 35. We'll talk about that in a second, too. It's a bit of my concern with her. But uh, before we get to the details and the numbers, we'll tell you that we do like Alexa Grasso by decision. That is our prediction. That's our expectation. It's be a longer fight, four or five rounds. I think Valentina Shevchenko will not make that same, same mistake again of giving up her back and losing by submission. Whereas Alexa Grasso, um, I don't think she needs a submission to win the fight. I think just staying on her feet at range, her boxing looked pretty clean against Shevchenko uh, last fight, had some moments at times, needs to press to push the pace a little bit more, be a little more energetic in the first two rounds. But give me Alexa Grasso by decision. As for their numbers real quickly here. All right, Grasso, 16-3 overall, 5-0 in her last five. She is the current champion from Mexico. And again, this is UFC Noche. Maybe she gets a little bit of a rub on the scorecard, you know, decision. 30 years old, five foot five with a 66 inch reach. So same height and reach for both ladies. They're very similar in stature. And for Grasso out of Lobo Gym, which is like her family gym, amazing story of how she's kind of been raised by, you know, uncles and fathers and whatever else uh, helped her kind of get her mixed martial arts career off. And she's still there, still with these people. So Valentina Shevchenko, who goes by the bullet, 23 and four, four one her last five out of Kyrgyzstan. Lima, Peru is where she says she's fighting out of, but she's not in Peru. She's all over the world. She trains all over the place, Japan, whatever else, you know. A traveling uh, sort of like a circus. 35 years old for Shevchenko, 5-5 again, 65 and a half inch reach. She has done some training of Tiger Muay Thai according to Tapology, but she, again, she's trained all over the world with some of the best you can imagine. One quick thing on Shevchenko. Before she became a mixed martial artist, I'm talking high level, world champion, world champion kickboxer, has a very long career, hundreds of fights, just countless of countless combat uh, events. And so she may have 27 mixed martial arts fights, but here's a person who's fought a ton of fights, right? Okay, let's get here into my grading chart. Let me show what we have. All right, so experience-wise, as yeah, just Shevchenko, right? We talked about this kickboxing background, and she has more mixed martial arts fights than Grasso as well. Had a title for years, defended the title many times, so on and so forth. Whereas Grasso, first title defense. Okay, fighter IQ very high for both of them. The cardio, amazing, almost the highest level you can give a, a score to them. Uh, both very good gas tanks later in the fight, four round four, round five, so on and so forth. Finishing ability, both of them are good finishers. I mean, Grasso finished her last time, and we know Shevchenko could finish people as well on the ground or on the feet. Striking, uh, I think Grasso's the better striker. I, I think I think Shevchenko's slowing down a little bit, 
showing he's 35 years old, getting a little bit you know slower. And I think Grasso is a little sharper, a little bit quicker, and even hits harder. For grappling, how can you not say that she's a better grappler after what just happened in the last fight? Now, granted, it was a slip up by Shevchenko. She made a mistake. Or did she? Um, we'll talk about that in a second. But I think Grasso clearly showed in that last fight that she's very good grappling, and maybe it's the better grappler right now. Fight going the full distance over two and a half rounds. The fight beginning in round number three. All props we like. The split props will be on our radar. And then Grasso by decision is the method of victory. For our concerns for them, they're kryptonite. The main one for Shevchenko believe it or not, is the age. It's not that 35 is like, oh, she's so old. She's just not as quick. You saw that in the last fight. You saw it against um. Her last few fights, like she was starting to get challenged. Like that fight against what Tala Santos that she won by split, where she kind of lost. I mean, the chinks in the armor are being more and more exposed. I believe she's much more like Kamara Usman in this spot, and less, for example, like 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 Amanda Nunes. Nunes lost the fight against Juliana Pena, made some mistakes, retooled, came back, looked great. I don't think Shevchenko does that here. I think Shevchenko does more like what Usman did when he came back to fight a third time against Leon Edwards, where he just didn't have it. I think Shevchenko just doesn't have it now. And so uh, Grasso, look, if this is Shevchenko, 32 years old, 31, I'm like, oh, you know, she's still going to get the title back. I, not the case. I think that she's a bit washed. I think her age is a factor. Her speed's a factor. So it's a big deal for me that she's 35. And then for Grasso, um, a slow starter. Needs to be a little more aggressive early in the fight. I, that could play into the hands of Shevchenko. Of course, she could walk into a right hand or something. But if Grasso could set a little bit more of an active pace, be a little more confident in the first three rounds, that would be helpful for her in trying to win on the scorecards. All right, pulling back up their profiles. Let me give you guys my written breakdown here. So I got a theory, too, for you guys that I'm going to share on this fight. Shevchenko looking for revenge in an attempt to recapture her crown. Now, many spectators felt that she was ahead in her last fight. I did, too. In what can only be described as a rookie mistake, colossal mistake, Shevchenko attempted a spinning back kick with about a minute, minute and a half to go in round number four. And she was at very close range. I mean, if you go back and watch the replay, it's out there, it's online. The link to that fight is also in our Excel sheet. She had It was nowhere near landing, and she was so close to her opponent. And so instead of landing a spinning back kick, which really had no chance of, of landing, she gives up her back. Like, as she spins... Shevchenko's ass almost immediately goes into like the hips, like, you know, that area, the stomach area of Grasso. It was like she almost did it like on purpose. It was nowhere near landing. I kind of say it again. You know, she gave up her back right away. Now, did Shevchenko attempt the maneuver because she really thought it was going to land? Or was it some form of like premeditated sabotage? And I, I'm look, I don't want to say that fight was fixed, but you have to keep this in mind. Shevchenko is an elite athlete. Like, if there was another word like beyond elite, she'd be up there. You're telling me that someone who's elite, like the best of the best in their craft, who knows exactly how to use her weapons, who's a bona fide striking legend, that in that moment, she decides to do a move that doesn't make any sense and has no, like it's a spinning back kick to the body, but she's so close to Grasso as she turns, like there, there's no way it's going to land. If anything, she would have had like the back of her leg if that makes sense, the back of her leg, her 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 hamstring would be landing on the side of of, of the of the of the hips of Grasso. If it makes any sense, because there's no room there. And I say this again and again because if we are to assume that Shevchenko is as brilliant of a fighter as she is, and I think she is brilliant, why in the hell would she try that move? She knows that that move wouldn't have worked. She knows that spinning kick would not have landed. She was way too close. It makes no strategic strategic sense. She wasn't tired. She wasn't in need of like a big moment to swing the judges. She was winning the fight. 
So I say again, why did Shevchenko attempt that kick? What was the point of it? It makes me ask the questions. Like I have to ask, was it really a mistake? I mean, maybe it was on purpose. It can only be described maybe as as hubris. If you want to say it was a mistake, the word hubris, that's like, you know, you, you're so confident and ah, I can do whatever I want. I'm ahead in this fight. Ah, spinning kick over here. I That doesn't add up either because Valentina Shevchenko, for everything she is, she's very confident, but she doesn't come off as someone who can't acknowledge, like, listen, that's a dumb move. Don't do that. Again, hubris will make the an ass out of all of us, you know, but the mistake is, is tough for me to swallow. Um, I have to accept it, though. I have to say to myself, okay, she's just she's just a, a female fighter or just a person like anyone else. You know, she can make mistakes. It can happen. But option number two, following on this rabbit hole, option number two is that Shevchenko knowingly threw the fight. She knowingly put herself in that spot. She didn't get knocked out, like cut and bled up. I mean, could this all be just one big work so she could reclaim her title? So we can get more balance to the money lines here. Was that what happened with Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes? I don't know. I mean, champions who are one-sided champions for a long period of time can be very stale for the market. It's not good for the division. Is it possible that the UFC simply wanted to shake things up here to refresh the division a little bit? You know, get a Mexican champion. Oh, so whatever. And maybe all that was all set up so that we can get back to this moment on UFC Noche where Valentina Shevchenko can come back and win her title. I mean, if Grasso pulls off the repeat of a performance of her last and like, gets a submission here over Shevchenko or finishes her, then yeah, this entire theory is out the window. It's just going to be that Grasso's the lady now and then Shevchenko's moving on. I'd be less inclined to believe this theory that I'm thinking that maybe something was a little bit in the works. But if Shevchenko comes out here and dominates the fight and gets the crown back and looks good in the process, yeah, I'm leaning towards that theory that maybe this was all just one big job by the UFC, by Shevchenko. Maybe not even Grasso. See, maybe Grasso wasn't aware of this. See what I'm saying? Like, it was all on the other side. Just saying. Crazier shit has happened. Now, Kamar Usman failed to regain his title last year or this year against Leon Edwards. Amanda Nunez recaptured her crown over Juliana Pena. Adesanya is now looking to get revenge against, you know, his guy after he won his title back against Barrera. Now he lost it again. The path to reclaiming the title is not an easy one. Adesanya now, Brandon Moreno, Alderman and Sterling, all of them are in spots where they're looking to get their title back. It's part of the sport, part of the drama. It, it can sell tickets for this. So I, I'm curious what happens here. I'm very curious. I'm not confident on either lady, but I'm going to go Grasso to win by decision. The betting spots here, the fight starts round number three, the over two and a half rounds, and the fight ends by submission. All spots I like for this fight. But again, give me Grasso the main event to retain her title. And still, and for Shevchenko, this officially begins the descent. I don't know what she would have to prove. I don't understand what she would hang around for. It would be hard-pressed to imagine she gets a title shot within a year again. So now she's going to be, what, 36, 37 next time she gets a title shot. She'll be a shell of herself. She has to contemplate now, listen, let me hang it up. Let me go open a gym somewhere, uh, have a good time, maybe start mentoring, get into politics. She speaks like 25 languages, uh, beautiful, elegant, intelligent, uh, hasn't taken a lot of damage in her career, a lot that she could do beyond fighting. We would not be surprised if any way she performed, this could be the last fight for Valentina Shevchenko. Now, would she retire on the spot? Maybe not. 
but it's going to be there in the back of her mind because what else would she have to prove? This would be the perfect way to go out on top, hand the belt over to the, you know, we're not hand the belt over, but like a fishy, like, hey, I've had a good run. Nunez is gone now. My time is up too. I'm going to move on. Uh, life beyond fighting. Couldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised that happens, but I have a feeling though, if you know Valentina Shevchenko, she ain't done yet. She wants to hang out for a while. She puts her title back. She wants to keep fighting. She loves to fight. So. That's your breakdown for UFC Noche coming up this Saturday. Let me give you a summary of our picks to win. Also, of course, known as our Swift Picks segment. Let me remove that and pull my face up over here. My big face. There you go. You can see me. All right. Full card. Again, on UFC.com, if you are over there, yeah, they don't have the fights, the current ones. I don't know why. I don't know why UFC.com is behind on that, but uh, it does happen. And if you learn one thing today by watching the video, you learn that in Mexico, you can drink at the age of 18 years old. <laughs> Go figure. Maybe that's, the, maybe that's the solution. Let the kids drink. <laughs> let the kids drink. All the teenagers are like, yeah, hey, let, the, let us drink. Let us drink. All right. Let me give you guys a summary of our picks here. Here are your swift picks for UFC Noche. Alexa Grasso versus Shevchenko Part 2. Beginning with the prelim card first, we like Josephine Knutson by decision. Charlie Campbell by round two knockout. Jasmine Jasunovicius by decision. Edgar Shires by round two submission. Roman Kopilov by round two knockout. Elise Reed by decision. Up to the main card, Fernando Padilla by round two knockout. Christos Giagos by decision. Raul Rosas Jr. by round one submission. Kevin Holland by decision. And in the main event, Alexa Grasso by decision. Those are your swift picks for UFC Noche. Good luck this weekend. All right, guys, before I get out of here, just some reminders. Please like, subscribe, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, uh, TikTok, wherever you can find us. The links are all down below. And if you want to get involved with our Tapology group, it's totally free. Cash prizes every single week to the winner. The link is down below right now. Scrolling across the bottom of the screen right there. The link is tapology.com forward slash groups forward slash ID number 1269. That's the number of our group. The link is down below. Go to that link. You have to have a Tapology account though first. So create a Tapology account. That's free to do. Make your, make your account. Go to that link. You'll send us a request. We'll accept your request and you're in the group. And then every single UFC event, you make your picks all free to do. The winner goes ahead and gets themselves a cash prize or a prize that's predetermined. It could be like a, a UFC card or a signed card, some memorabilia or something like that. But last few weeks have been great. I want to give a special shout out to the winner last week. That was MA Jesus 420. He was the winner last week. The week before was Saba. And uh, yeah, come play with us. Tapology. That's not a that's not a kind of shady. You get you get what I mean. Come play games with us on Tapology. Again, Tapology Group. Uh, ID number 1269. Come join us. Again, like, subscribe. Best of luck this weekend with UFC Noche. Hope you get back in the win column and have a wonderful weekend. Deuces.